The School at the Chalet, Chapter 16, The Mudge and Spitz It might have been expected that after the delightful Sunday described in the foregoing chapter, things would take a contrary turn, and that there would be a dire happening. But for once fate proved kind, and the week progressed quietly. Such small events as Suzanne pouring ink on herself and Grizel and Joey having what nearly amounted to a stand-up fight over Simone, not counting at all. The morning of the head's birthday dawned in a kind of pandemonium, however. Margia Stevens had, the night before, hit on the original idea of serenading Miss Bettany under her window. The idea appealed greatly to them all, and after a good deal of argument and squabbling, they had decided on the song, Who is Sylvia? Of course, the name is wrong, said Margia, but she'll know who's it meant for. Six o'clock the next morning saw the long dormitory in the throes of getting up. From behind the yellow curtain which divided off the cubicles came subdued giggles and whispered mar remarks. Joey, is it fine? What's it like over the mountains? Glorious, returned Joey, who had stripped her bed and was now sitting on it waiting for her to turn to go to the bathroom. It's going to be a ripping day. Be quiet, hissed Juliet. You'll waken Miss Menard if you shriek so. She's probably awake already, returned Joey, not a whit disturbed. Thank goodness. Here's Grizel at last. I thought you'd drowned yourself you'd taken so long. Rot. I've only been six minutes, protested Grizel. Buck up yourself. Margia and Simone have to come after you. What about my bath? asked the little voice from the other corner of the room, where Mary Amy Stevens slept. It's all cold still, isn't it? Oh, bother, I quite forgot you had to have warm baths. Grizel paused in the act of putting on one of her stockings. Juliet, what shall we do? Marie will be up, I'm sure. Shall I go down and ask her for a kettle full of hot water? I'm just ready, suggested Juliet. Will you? That'd be topping of you. Yes, do go, urged Grizel. Hello, Joey, old thing. You can't have had much of a bath. You haven't been a minute. Have two. Toodle on, Margia. You're next, aren't you? Margia and Juliet vanished together, and presently Juliet came back with a big jug of warm water supplied by good-natured Marie. Come along, Amy, she said cheerfully. I'll tub you this morning. We can't wait till Mademoiselle comes. Oh, thank you, Juliet, replied Amy shyly, while Grizel stopped in the act of brushing out her curly mop to gape open-mouthed at her curtains. When had Juliet ever offered to help anyone like that before? Amy herself was very startled. She had never liked Juliet, but was too shy to refuse the older girl's help so submitted in silence to being bathed with much vigor and goodwill, if with some cl clumsiness. Juliet's whole-hearted rubbing with a towel brought an involuntary ow from her. But when the senior, conscience-stricken, asked, Did I hurt you? She replied hastily, Oh, oh no, Juliet, uh, it's very kind of you to bathe me. Thank you so much. "'Call me if you want anything tied or buttoned,' said Juliet, as she returned to her own cubicle. "'Margia will have to dress herself, and I'm practically ready, so I can help you easily.' 
Grizel restrained an exclamation of surprise in time. She stripped her bed in an awestruck silence, which lasted until they were all ready to leave the room. Then Joey roused her. "'Aren't you feeling well?' she demanded bluntly. "'Yes, quite well. Why?' queried Grizel somewhat incautiously. "'You're so silent. You've scarcely spoken at all,' grinned Joe. "'I thought something must be the matter.' "'So it is, Joey. Juliet did practically everything for Amy. Did you ever?' "'Well, that's nothing to be wondered at,' returned Joey smartly. "'She's the oldest of us, and someone had to help Amy, or else she'd never have gotten ready in time. You know what a perfect baby she is.' "'Oh, yes, of course,' said Grizel, uncertainly. "'I expect you're right, Joey.' "'Course I am. Now come on.' They all slipped down the stairs and out into the glorious sunlight, collecting in a merry little group under Miss Bettany's wide-open window. "'Let's start with good King Wenceslas,' giggled Joey. "'Yes, I feel rather like Christmas carols, too,' agreed Grizel. "'Stop ragging, you two. We're waiting for you. This is the note.' And Margia sang, "'Lo,' in a very true little tremble. "'Now, one, two... They all started off, and Madge, who had been sleeping the sleep of justly weary, was roused by the notes of Who is Sylvia, sang Fortissimo by the whole band. She quickly guessed the meaning of the serenade and sat up in bed with a chuckle. As they finished, she got into her kimono and ran across to the window. Hello, everybody, she called. What a lovely awakening. "'It's to wish you many happy returns, Miss Bettany,' called up Grizel. "'It was Margia's idea, really. Did you like it?' "'Yes, it was delightful. Thank you all very much. Now I'm going to dress.' She withdrew her head just as a tap at the door heralded Joey's advent. "'Hello. Many happy returns of your birthday,' she said. "'I brought you this.' She presented her a parcel, and Madge opened it with delight. A picture of the Tarnsey. Joey, you Jim, it's just what I've wanted, she cried. You couldn't have given me anything better. Glad you like it, returned Joe, as she turned her cheek for her sister's kiss. Herr Marini helped me to choose it last Saturday. I say, can I help you get dressed? I'll strip your bed, shall I? She suited the action to the word, and presently Madge sauntered downstairs ready for the day in her pale green frock. Marie was scurrying around, getting breakfast ready. She stopped to offer her good wishes, together with a bouquet of alpine roses, which she had gathered the evening before. "'For madame,' she said shyly. "'Oh, Marie, how good of you, and I love alpine roses so much!' Breakfast was a hilarious meal, followed by a cheerful rush to put in bed-making into practice." Nine o'clock brought all the boarders, flower-laden and beaming. Gisla and Bet carried the basket containing the precious china between them, and Marie had another full of Grossmutter's delicious cakes. "'Hurry up, hurry up!' exclaimed Joey, dancing with impatience. "'I've got the tray from Marie, and Mademoiselle is keeping Madame talking in the dining room till we're ready. Here you are. Now buck up!' In the big schoolroom, they arranged the dainty coffee service on the big black tray Joey had produced. 
Then they formed up their usual line, and Amy was sent to ring the bell. She came scampering back, proclaiming in a, in a stage whisper, She's coming! The sound of light, rapid footsteps followed, and then Miss Bettany came in, took her place at the dais, and she did so. A chorus of birthday greetings in German, French, and English came from the eighteen girls assembled below her. As they spoke, they all raised their bouquets, and the day girls had brought flowers for the boarders, and the beauty of the flowers, the goodwill and affection of the girlish faces between her, brought a little thrill to the young headmistress, and touched her charming face with rather more color than usual. Then Gisla and Gertrude came forward, carrying between them the tray, with its dainty burden of china. The head girl looked rather flushed and nervous with her responsibilities, but she rose to the occasion bravely, and said in her clear, carrying voice, "'Madame, be pleased to accept from us all this so small token of our feelings for you on this your feast day.' "'Thank you, girls,' said Madge, a little shyly. "'It's very good of you indeed, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate your kindness to me.' If anything could have made it a happier birthday for me, the first birthday I have spent in the troll, your thought could. Then came the business of presenting the bouquets, and soon the table on the days was heaped with lilies, roses, and all kinds of flowers. The end of the room was glowing with their color and beauty, when finally little Giovanni Riccini had trotted up with her armful of lilies and dahlias. Gisla called for three cheers for our miss, our dear madam, which was very heartily, and then serious business of the day was over. In half an hour we shall start, said Madge, smiling at them, over the great heap of flowers. First I must place these in water and put them in a cool place. Then we must collect up all our possessions, and then we can set off. Joey, please go and fetch me some big bowls, and Grizel and Juliet, I want some water. Take them into the dining room, and in the coolest place, I think. Miss Maynard, if you will look after the youngest girls, Mademoiselle will see to the food, and the prefects will help me to arrange the flowers. They all flew off to their bidding, and by ten o'clock a long string of girls was to be seen setting off up the path which led to the Lutterbach Valley, through which they would have to walk in order to reach the mountain path that led up the Modenschenspitz. As long as they kept to the beaten track, that is, until they reached the white wooden railings that fenced the Brassau from the Lauterbeck Valley, they walked in crock, but as soon as the gate had swung behind them, they broke file and wandered happily along a little groups, chattering happily among themselves. Gisla and Gertrude, Bet and Bernhilda attached themselves to Miss Bettany and were soon eagerly comparing the difference of Cornish picnics and trolling ones. Miss Maynard and Mademoiselle were discussing Paris, which the former knew very well, since she had been at school there. The little ones, needless to state, chased butterflies and gathered flowers, while Joey, Grizel, and Simone, for once in complete accord, strolled along amiably, talking about their climb. Presently they came within sight of the Terjonk. 
even in this day of glorious sunshine, dark and gloomy, with a hint of menace in its towering crags. Grizel stopped and tilted back her head, looking at it with a determined gleam in her eyes. I'll get up there some day, she said aloud. Joey followed her eyes. The turn, Jock? Oh, Grizel, I wish you wouldn't. It's such a cruel-looking mountain, said Joe with a little shiver. It looks as if it didn't care how many people were killed on it. Joey, tosh, that's only your silly imaginings, began Grizel. Then the sudden whiteness of her friend's face made her sorry she had mentioned it. So she added, anyway, I'm not going today or this week either, so keep your hair on. I think you're unkind, Grizel, broke in Simone unexpectedly. Always you tease, tease Joey, and she hates the turn, Jock. Tisn't your business, Grizel was beginning heatedly when Joey stepped in. Oh, shut up quarreling, you two. And if you mention that beastly Terranjock again, Grizel, I'm going away, and you can walk with someone else. So there. And she marched ahead, leaving Grizel and Simone to follow meekly after her. Luckily, at that moment, loud screams from Amy Stevens distracted everyone's attention to her as she came flying down the slope, yelling at full pitch of her lungs, Oh, oh, a snake, a snake! What? exclaimed Madge. She stared forward, catching up the frightened child. Amy, are you hurt? Stop crying, dear, and tell me. No, she isn't. Margia supplied the information disgustedly. She saw a little greeny snake curled up asleep by this stone, and so she started howling. It never came near her. Thank heavens, Madge set the child on her feet again with a sigh of relief. There were very few snakes around here in the Tarnzi, and so far as she knew, the only venomous ones were vipers, which were even more rare, rarely seen than the harmless green variety. But Amy's shrieks had scared her for the moment. There is nothing to cry about, Amy, she added. If you scream when you only see a snake, you aren't a very plucky person, are you? Now dry your tears and stop crying, and girls, don't go into the long grass, please. It will be all right, madame, Gisla seriously said. Snakes prefer the sun, and that grass is in the shadow and is cold. Nevertheless, I shall feel safer if you keep more to the path, returned her headmistress decidedly. Frida, I'm sure you've carried the basket long enough. Give it to Joey, and Grizel take Juliet for a while. They went on again, Madge keeping a rather nervous eye on the juniors. However, they soon had to leave the track and strike across the valley to get to the mountain path. Do we cross here? demanded Miss Bettany, eyeing what looked like a stony bed of dried-up river somewhat doubtfully. Isn't there a bridge? Only a log further down, said Bernhilda. You see, madame, when the storms of autumn come, this is a torrent, and already three bridges can have been swept away. The water comes suddenly, and there's nothing to break its strength. It is easy to reach, though. See, down here. And she pointed to some rough, natural steps, which led down to the stony bed. Already more than half the girls are struggling across the unfortunate bearers of baskets, uttering wild shrieks 
as the stones slipped under their feet, and they more than once nearly went headlong. At length they were all safely at the other side, and once more on the beaten path which led through grass and wild flowers to the foot of the mountain, where they all paused for a rest. Oof! isn't it hot?' panted Margia, as she mopped her crimson face. "'I'm just comfortable,' said Joey, with an exasperatingly superior air. "'But I'm awfully hungry. What's the time, anyone?' "'It is half after eleven, said Gisela, glancing at her pretty little watch. "'You mustn't be slow, Gisela," laughed Juliet, showing hers. "'I make it ten past twelve. "'So do I,' said Madge. "'And mine was right this morning, Miss Maynard. "'What does yours say?' "'Nearly quarter past,' replied Miss Maynard. "'But I may be a little fast.' "'Well, anyhow, it's time for lunch,' said Joey. "'Do let's have it here.' "'Oh, yes,' agreed several voices at once. "'I'm hungry.' Madge laughed and gave way. "'Very well. I'm rather hungry myself, and it would certainly lighten the baskets.' Accordingly, they all sat down, and in very few minutes the baskets were considerably lighter than they had been. "'It's funny how much hungrier one is out of doors than in,' said Grizel presently, as she tackled her sixth sandwich.' "'It is,' agreed Joey. "'But I'm not so hungry as I was,' she added pensively. "'After having only five sandwiches and six biscuits and two apples,' jeered Grizel. "'There must be something up with you, Joey, old thing.' "'You can talk,' said Joey contentedly. "'You've had just as much. "'I say,' she added rather changed her tone. "'What's the lemonade?' "'Bet has it,' said Grizel. "'I haven't,' replied Bet. "'I thought you had it. "'No, I was carrying the apples. "'I was certain you had it. "'Oh, no, I never had it.' "'Madge began to grudge with laughter. "'It was only too plain what had occurred to the lemonade. "'Sitting in the passage at home, she croaked. "'Oh, and I'm dying of thirst, and I. "'Me too,' rose all the voices. "'What are we to do?' "'Wait until we reach the Alm. "'We can get plenty of milk from the herdsmen,' "'said Miss Bettany somewhat unfeelingly. "'I'm sorry, but it's your own fault.' "'Then,' said Joey, scrambling to her feet, "'there's only one thing to be done. "'Get up to the Alm as soon as we can. "'Come on, everybody.' "'There was common sense in her statement. "'So with loud groans the girls repacked the basket and set off.' The climb up the modern chin spits is remarkably easy. There is a well-defined path which winds in and out among the dark pine trees, every now and then coming out into a narrow, very narrow, grassy ledge. Presently, however, it left the woods, and they climbed up the bare limestone face of the mountain beneath the glare of the July sun. There were flowers all over, and gorgeous butterflies, brown and orange, scarlet and yellow, fluttered round them, so little afraid of them they settled on hats and frocks and little amy stevens cried out in delight when one balanced itself on her outreached finger resting there for a moment before it fluttered off madge was thankful for the distraction the dainty creatures afforded the girls otherwise the juniors at any rate would have found the path more difficult than they did as it was, she was very thankful when a triumphant cry from Joey, Simone, and Frida, who had raced to the top, 
announced that they had reached the elm. Isn't it a gorgeous view, demanded Joe, when they were all standing on the short, sweet grass. Just look! They looked. At their feet lay the valley they had crossed that morning, green and cool, with the empty riverbed stretching like a white ribbon down its length. In the distance they could see Brassau laying like a toy village some giant child had set out, and beyond it, blue, 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 the Tarnsee, a, a living sapphire gleaming beneath the sun. Oh, wonderful, breathed Madge softly. They did not gaze long, however. They were all too thirsty. With one accord, presently they turned and made for the herdsman's hut and the milk. Chapter 17 On the Elm Although both Joey and Grizel had been up to the Barnbad Elm many times since their arrival at Brassau, they had never been inside a herdsman's hut, and great was their interest in it. Only one man was there when they reached the place, a tall, lanky young fellow in weather-stained green breeches and ragged shirt, open at the throat. His black hair was rough and long, and his face burnt brown with the weather. He wore the little green trousy hat with its cock feather, and, with, and was sitting contentedly smoking a long china-bowled pipe, such as most men smoke in the troll. On seeing them coming, he rose to his feet with a smile of welcome and hoarsed voice, Gruscott. Gruscott, replied Madge briskly. Can you tell us, can you sell us some milk and some cheese? Yes, gracious lady. Will the gracious lady and the young ladies come in? Only the English girls availed themselves of this offer, so they might look around at the little bare room with its huge well in one corner, with a wood fire was burning although the day was so hot. A broad shelf ran round the room, all above their heads, and on this stood enormous earthenware pans for the milk, and big cream-colored cheese. The one window was about two feet square, and set high up in the wall. A long wooden bench stood out on one side, and next to it a huge cheese press. A wood door opened into another room beyond, where truces of hay were to be seen. The atmosphere of the place was indescribable, a mixture of cheese, garlic, tobacco, and burning wood. The visitors soon left the hut for the sweeter atmosphere of the alm, where the others were gravely taking it in turn to drink out of an enormous bowl full of rich, creamy milk, while their host stood nearby, still smoking and gazing vacantly across to the mighty peaks on the other side of the lake. When Miss Bettany presently brought back the empty bowl, together with the tobacco she had brought, and some Cronin notes to pay for the milk, he smiled again and answered her question in her, in his cur curiously hoarse tones. Yes, he and four others were there for the summer. They had come up early in May and would stay there till the end of September if the weather was good. Then the cattle must be brought down to the valley before the autumn storms begin. But aren't you ever lonely? questioned Joey, who had accompanied her sister to the hut. Don't you ever want to go down to the Brassau? 
He turned indifferent dark eyes to her. No, mein Fräulein, there are the cows and the mountains. We are five, and I have my pipe. What do the cows do in the winter? asked Madge, a fine instinct preventing her from asking what he did, though she felt curious about that. They live in the sheds in the winter, he replied, and I go to my home in Scholastica. They do not need us in the winter, so we all go to our homes and pray to the good God and bless the saints for an early spring. Last winter it w did not come, and some of us went hungry for a time. How dreadful, said Joey with wholehearted sympathy. I hope it's a good autumn. It will be as der Lieben Gott wills, he replied with the curious fatalism of his race. Madge made arrangements for the milk and cheese for the tea, and then went back to her flock. She rounded them all, laying about in exhaustion attitudes, and promptly proposed that they should have a rest before exploring the alm any further. It will be easier going down than coming up, she said. We climbed in the noonday heat, but by then it will be cool, so we shall go twice as quickly. Half an hour or even an hour's sleep won't do any of you any harm. I've got a book in my pocket, so I'll read and keep an eye on the time. They promptly curled up in various attitudes, Mademoiselle and Miss Maynard among them, and Madge was soon the only one awake. She glanced at her watch with a smile. A quarter hour passed, she thought. I'll let them sleep for another half hour, and then we must have tea. She turned back to her book. It was terribly hot, almost oppressively so. Although the sun was not shining so brilliantly as it had done earlier in the day, the German print looked all funny and jumbled up. The page wasn't there any more. Madge was asleep. Meanwhile, the sunlight faded away, hidden by the huge black clouds, and that began to marshal themselves in terrifying squadrons in the northwest. Even the faint breeze which had stirred the alpine flowers in the short grass had died away. There was a waiting stillness, broken only by the occasional cry of a wild bird, frightened at what felt was coming. Joey was the first to feel it. She woke up with sensation that something was wrong. The next minute she knew what it was. The electricity in the air was tingling through she sprang to her feet with a little cry, gazing wildly around her. The sunshine was gone. The whole place was wrapped in gloom. At that other side of the valley, the mountains reared ghastly white heads against the blackness of the sky, and every now and then the lightning flashed across the awful ickiness, seeming to rip it open for a moment. There was no thunder yet which made it all the more terrifying. Dashing to her sister's side, she shook her vigorously. Madge, Madge, wake up! Wake up, Madge! I'm frightened! In a moment, Madge sat up and regarded the awesome scene with horror in her eyes. The next instant, she was on her feet. Thunder! What a fool I was not to think of it! We must get down at once! Girls, wake up! They woke up at her urgent cries, and Simone and Amy promptly burst into tears. The trollines were too accustomed to the terrible thunderstorm which came up 
with such terrifying suddenness to be scared, although the elder girls looked serious. They knew what thunder from northwest meant. Meanwhile, the three elders were taking rapid counsel while Juliet and Gisela tried to console the two weepers. Joey was watching her sister's face anxiously, and Griselle was too excited to feel afraid. Then, even as Miss Bettany turned to bid the girls hurry to the mountain path, there was a vivid glare that seemed to rend the very clouds asunder, followed by a terrific crash, which scared what few wits Simone had left completely from her. She clung to Mademoiselle, screaming hysterically, and Madge realized that if they were to get her down the path at all, they would have to carry her. A sudden shout coming out of the gloom, which had descended so rapidly, made her turn, and there was the herdsman running towards them, beckoning to them as he did so. In a flash, she realized that he meant them to come to the hut. The next moment the darkness descended completely, and overhead the lightning flickered, and the thunder crashed almost incessantly. There was no question of going down yet. Even if Simone had kept her head, it would have been impossible. The path was easy enough in daylight, but there was great tree roots sprawling across it in intervals, as well as occasional boulders, which had worked loose and rolled into it. Any attempt to descend it now was more than likely to end in sprained ankles, if nothing worse. She made a swift decision. Even as the panting herdsman reached them, she spoke. Come, we must go to the hut. It is the only thing to do, and we can stay there till it is over. Gisla, Bet, and Brunhilde had already collected the baskets together, and now they all turned fo to follow the man who had picked up Simone, with as much ceremony as if she were a bundle of hay, and was now leading them across the little plateau to the hut. It was really quite a short distance, but to Madge it seemed never-ending, that strange walk, half-walk, half-run, in almost pitchy blackness, lighted only by the frightful glare of the lightning, while all around them the thunder roared frighteningly. Little Amy Stevens was between her and Miss Maynard, while the elder girls looked after the other juniors, and Mademoiselle hurried gaspingly after them, with an arm round Margia Stevens. Once they were all safely inside, the herdsman shut the door and sat Simone down on the bench. She had stopped screaming now, but little heart-rendering moans came from her lips every now and then, leaving Amy to Miss Maynard's care. Madge went over to her. Simone, she said sternly, you must stop crying at once. At once, do you hear? I, I, I have such fear, sobbed Simone in her own language. So have the others, replied her headmistress, but you are the only one who is behaving like a baby. Come. You must stop at once, or I shall slap you. She nearly burst out laughing when she finished, for, as she glanced up, she had happened to catch sight of Joey's face, with eyes and mouth round O's of wonder. However, her dramatic speech had its effect on Simone, who gradually began to recover her self-control, and presently was able to sit up and drink the milk Gisla brought her. Meanwhile, the herdsman had 
drawn the young headmistress aside. The gracious lady must stay here tonight, he said. There is hay, and we can give bread and milk and cheese. To go down the path would be dangerous while the storm rages. But surely it cannot go on long, said Madge in startled tones. It is too heavy to last? It is from the northwest, he replied. It will last many hours yet, four or perhaps five, and then it will be night. Good heavens, how awful! She stood silent for a moment, going over the state of affairs in her mind. Then she turned to the seniors. Gisla, bet. Is this true? Are we storm stayed here for the night? I'm afraid so, replied Gisla. When a storm comes from the northwest, it does not die quickly. But how appalling! What will your parents think? They will know we took refuge here, said Bet. Everyone at the Tarnsee knows of the hut, and they will know that we should stay here. These storms come so quickly. Often there is no time to do anything. Don't worry, madame. They will be sure we shall be here, and quite safe. I wish I could think so, murmured the headmistress. Well, I suppose there's nothing else for us to do. Do you mean we're going to stay here all night? gasped Grizelle, who had been standing near. How simply thrilling! I'm glad you think so, returned Madge dryly. I'd be thankful to know we were all safe in our beds. The herdsman, having given his opinion, was now busily engaged in carrying in great armfuls of fresh sweet hay from a little shed which stood nearby. The rain had not yet come, and he had evidently made up his mind to prepare for the night before it did. Grizel sprang forward. Let me help, she said in her pretty broken German. Yes, do. I'd like it. Oh, so would I, exclaimed Margia. I'll come too. The man made no attempt to stop them, so they followed him out, and very soon one end of the room was thickly littered with hay, which the elder girls shook up and covered with their raincoats. When that was done, he shut the door once more, cast a couple of logs on the fire, and then sat down on the bench and lit his pipe. He had done all that he could, and now he was prepared to sit and smoke contentedly until he was sleepy, when he would go to bed in the next room. A little silence fell on them all, which was suddenly broken by a swish, swish, and the rain had come. Such rain! Joey opened the door to see, had to shut it again in a hurry, or they would have been flooded out. Gracious Peter, she remarked as she came back to the others, it's like a flood. This is Mount Arat. I shouldn't wonder. Tosh, returned Grizel, Mount Arat has snow on it, I think. Well, this has in winter, argued Joe amiably. Anyhow, it's some rain. Not unlike the rainy season in India, laughed Madge. The thunder had died away for the moment. Do you remember how I told you about the time when we were flooded out the year before we came home? Rather, tell the others now, said Joey. It's like a story in a book. It will take too long, replied her sister. Ask me about it sometime when there isn't a thunderstorm going on. Just listen to it as a fresh rumble forced her shriek the last words. It often does that, said Gisla. It travels round and round the lake till it dies away. 
it will come back again, and again before it's over tonight. Where are we going to sleep? asked Amy with interest. And, oh, Miss Bettany, what is that funny thing on the wall? She pointed as she spoke to a zither, which was hung up by a loop of soiled ribbon. The herdsman, seeing her point to it, got up from his seat and taking it down produced a little twist of wire attached to a silver ring which he fitted on his thumb and then ran it across the string producing a shower of silvery sounds a zither cried miss minard i never noticed it i played the zither do you queried the man holding it to her "'Yes, but you play first, she said, smiling at him. He bowed somewhat clumsily, and then played them a simple little air, whose notes rippled through the hut like bird notes. When he had finished, he handed it to Miss Minard, and she played a song which, she told them, she had learnt from the new forest gypsies. Every now and then the thunder roared above the tinkling music, and made the nervous people start.' The first awful gloom was wearing off, but the lighted flashes were as vivid as ever, and the rain still poured down ceaselessly. Presently the herdsman produced a huge pot, which he slung on a hook, hung over the fire by an iron chain. Into it he poured a panful of milk, and, when it was heated, he invited them to dip big earthenware mugs into it which he had brought from the inner room into it and drink. It proved very good if it had been a smoky flavor, certainly drunk in the room as an accompaniment to the black bread and milk cheese. It had a taste all its own. When they had finished it, there was silence for a while. Then close atmosphere and warmth were doing their work. It was barely seven o'clock, but most of the juniors were already nodding sleepily, and presently Amy turned to Miss Bettany with a request for bed. "'Please, may I go to bed? I'm so sleepy,' she pleaded. "'I think most of you would be better in bed,' said the young headmistress. "'Come along, you people.' You can slip off your frocks and lay down in the hay, and then we'll cover you up. In the hay? Amy wasn't sure whether to laugh or to cry. Luckily, M Maria Marini settled it for her. It is topping, she said cheerily. Just like camping out, said Grizel approvingly. Oh, this is something like an adventure. The herdsman, seeing that bed seemed to be the order of the day, got up, lit two lanterns, hanging one on a nail near the door and taking the other, slouched into the inner room with a muttered knock. And that's that, observed Joey, wriggling out of her frock. I say, supposing the others come back, what a shock they will get if they walk in and see us laying around. I hadn't thought of that, Madge looked disturbed. I do not think they will come, Gisla said consolingly. See, the door is barred. I think there is another hut at the other side, and they will spend the night there. Do you? Shunt along, Grizel. You've got three times your share of the hay. I mean bed. Girls, girls, be quiet, put in Madge, laughing. You really must settle down and get to sleep. We shall have to be up at six to get down before Brasso is awake to see what scarecrows we are. 
Joey lay down, and presently they were all settled. Madge put out the lantern and lay down in her own place. It took her a little time to drop off, though everyone else quickly fell asleep, or so it seemed. But just as she was getting drowsy, a low voice said, Madge? Well, she asked sleepily. We'll have a holiday tomorrow after this, shan't we? Madge sat up, fully awake. Joey Bettany, lay down at once and go to sleep, and don't let me hear you again till the morning, she said severely. There was a rustle in the hay and a little chuckle, and then silence. Thank you.